another traveler. Pull a chair up and rest your feet. Would you care for some food or a drink? Perhaps some information or a legendary tale. Come, stay a while and listen. Welcome to Tavern Legends, episode four of Table Talk. I'm Clayton Friedemann. And I'm Jacob Yombor. Today, we're going to be talking to you about the role of a dungeon master and how to prepare for your first game. So the points we're going to cover, first we're going to talk about what the dungeon master is and your job. We're going to talk about the tools you will need to run a session. We're going to talk about preparing for your first game. And then we're going to wrap it up with what we call session zero. That is correct. I'll get us started off here, kind of introducing what the Dungeon Master is. Um, You may hear it referred to as a DM throughout the rest of this podcast. Just know that we're calling uh, the DM a Dungeon Master. Uh, There's another term uh, that some players use around the table called Game Master. Yeah, and Uh, you might hear that in other games more often. Dungeon Master is kind of special to Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. It's not exclusive, though. No. So that's where Game Master comes, kind of comes in. It's for everything usually outside of Dungeons & Dragons. but GM. Mm-hmm. So what is a Dungeon Master? So a Dungeon Master or a DM in Dungeons & Dragons, you, your main job is to get a group of players together and run them through the world that you present to them. Essentially, you are... I don't want to say the god of the world, but in a lot of ways you are. You control and dictate how the story flows and everything like that. You choose where the players are going, what they're going to be doing in the future. And to a certain extent. To a certain extent, yeah. You put the players in situations uh, where they can you know, succeed, fail, move on, um, adventure further. There's a whole plethora of options but as the dungeon master, your main duty and job is to, you know, be behind this screen, respect your players, and let them play in the world that you're that you're kind of dishing out to them. Right. You're you're presenting a story that they get to interact with. Mm-hmm. This is by no means yours exclusively. It's something to share. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's important. You almost act like a diplomat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're in the you're in the middle of the fray. You're acting like all the characters that the players are talking to. You know, you're the shopkeeper. You're the bartender. You're the the lowly maid that's tending to the queen. You're the squire that's tending to the knight. Or you're the big bad evil guy. Or you're the yeah the big bad evil guy. Um, you're you're essentially all you encompass all those things, all those interactions that the players have with anything in the game. You kind of abjugate and um, decide what happens based off of what they roll and um, what they and how they interact and everything. And you kind of decide how that progresses the story forward and how that kind of makes the world 
step back and, and react as a whole to what the players just did. Is there anything, I mean, you really want to touch on otherwise? I think it's just good to remember that you you do run the game. You're supposed to be familiar with the rules, mm-hmm. but your best laid plans will probably fall apart. So oh, be ready course. to improv. That's important, be ready too. To be, yeah, definitely be ready to improv. They'll Your players will always throw some curveballs at you. Within Dungeons and & Dragons and in tabletop role-playing games in general, I would say the Dungeon Master is the most important role in the group. They're going to be... They're gonna be. They're gonna take on the most responsibility to say. Yeah, and you can't play without a dungeon master. Correct. So that's kind of a little bit about what the dungeon master is as a whole. It's 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 complex but simple at the same time. You know, you're you're there to move the game along and make sure everyone's there having a good time. Right. So now that we kind of introduced a little bit about what, what the DM does at the table, let's kind of talk about what their job is kind of as a whole. So in terms of the game, your job is going to be running encounters, which might be combat or it might be a social interaction with the guards, right. any random activity that is based on the players trying to succeed something. Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of interactions that might just happen from player to player, so you don't need to really worry about judging what happens there mm-hmm. unless things become a dispute. Then that's where you come in as the rules master and arbiter. You have to decide in the end who is right. Mm-hmm. So that's something to be prepared for, um, and that's a pretty big job, I would say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what kind of things are you going to need as a DM? In terms of tools on hand... You're going to need a homebrew or a pre-written quest, however you want to do it. We would recommend a pre-written one if it's your first time, mm-hmm. simply because it takes care of a lot of the work. And you yeah. just have to familiarize yourself with the information instead of trying to put together all these random pieces. Mm-hmm. And you can always choose parts from either one to make your own to get a special flavor for yourself. Um, you're also going to need a rules guide which in our situation, we are using 5th edition of Dungeons & Dragons. Mm -hmm. So we have the Player's Handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and a Monster Manual. And those three books are the core... Yeah, those are the core rules. That's going to get you through just about any game. Mm -hmm. And it's going to give you a lot of options on what to make for characters, but also what to use as monsters. And it covers a wide range of what you will need. Right, and I would say the DM's Guide and the Monster Manual... Monster Manual is what typically resonates to the DM more. The Player's Handbook is obviously in the name, and we went over that in our previous podcast, Episode 3, which you guys can check out. Um, But, you know, the DM's Guide is essentially going to be filled with tools and explanations of how to run the game and how how to fit into the game, what kind of players you want in your game it's going to go kind of through step by step and kind of explain to you and slowly unfold back like the what it's like to put on the mantle and become the dm right um our our guide does cover a little bit of the same pattern we just cover it a lot quicker so Mm -hmm. you could use this in conjunction with the dm's guide if you would like yeah this is definitely just for you know new new people kind of just looking to get out there and wonder what it what it kind of takes to be a dungeon master and 
you guys don't need to think you need to be a grade A actor. You don't need to be... You don't need to be Mercer. Yeah, you don't need to be anyone super special. You, you just, don't need to be Perkins. Yeah, you, you just need to be able to run and organize a game and make sure that your players that are in your game are there to having a good time. And that's that's the most important thing, really. Right. That everyone at the table is having a good time. Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. So that DM's guide, that kind of ties into that. It kind of brings you in um, and shows you how to how to maximize your role as the DM and make sure your players are happy, make sure your world world is full of surprises and intrigue and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Um, to wrap up this list in terms of what you'll need, I'd say probably the most obvious thing, uh, players. You're going to need somebody to play your game. Of course. So we touch on this briefly in the player's guide. We'll talk about it again here. Finding players can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had our fair share of issues just trying to get people to stay in the game too. Um, but in, if you're going, for, we got the benefit of we've had a group of friends that's typically been playing the game, and we've just had to add a couple people at a time as opposed to getting a group from scratch. Mm-hmm. So I would say you're going to have to be a little bit flexible in who you accept to your table. And I think you're just going to need to make sure you communicate like what kinds of things might cross a boundary with you. Like Mm -hmm. maybe there's certain topics you don't want to discuss in your game or there are certain things that you do want to explore in the game and other people might not be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So those kinds of things you're going to want to talk about in advance when you're trying to find some players just a little bit at least so everyone's on the page when you're getting together Mm -hmm. once again can't hit it home enough as the dm you want to make sure everyone is having an amazingly fun time at your table i mean i would i would caution it doesn't have to be amazingly fun no but ideally that's what you want um i would say as long as they're getting engaged in your game i would say you're doing something right Mm-hmm. And you can build off of that. Yeah. Don't be afraid to get some feedback. I tend to ask my players, or at least Clay, after every game, like, did you like it? What did you like? What did you mm-hmm. not like? So I can take that into the next session a little more prepared. Yep. Come come ready to take notes. Uh, come ready with notes already written down. Um, these are all things you're going to need. Um, we We didn't even mention a whole plethora of options. There's... Oh, man, there's battle maps you can use. There's miniatures. Yeah, I would say another thing right there um, in terms of what you will need. It depends on what kind of game you will be running. If Mm -hmm. Some people call it theater of the mind, which is just, it's more you just rely on your imagination. Mm -hmm. And some people like the tabletop feel of actually having a board out and you measure out the squares and you have combats on a grid. Mm -hmm. Very tactical. Yeah. so that, that may change what tools you will need to run the game. Obviously, if you're going to run a board game, you're going to need the board to yep. do it. So some sort of grid that you yeah, can use. Yeah, they have grids or hex, um, hex boards. Yeah, there's tile pieces and stuff like that. So uh, mm-hmm. that will be another tool you'll probably want to run your game. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary by any means to have all that extra stuff, and it can get a little expensive. We've, we've definitely put our fair share of money into Dungeons & Dragons, <laughs> but... We, we love the game, so. Right. Um, and that's kind of what we hope that you guys achieve, you know, listening through our podcast and everything. So hope you can get out there, be a good DM, and, and you know, learn these things, you know. No, no DM's perfect. Don't, don't focus on that. 
if you focus on that too much, you're going to get in your head and you know, your players are going to be able to tell if you're, you're miserable behind that screen or if you're having a great time, they'll, they'll know. My best sessions have typically been when I just said, screw it, let's just play some D and D. And my worst one was when I felt like, okay, this all needs to be perfect. You got to do it just right. Mm -hmm. Right. So just be ready to play. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of wraps up, you know, what you're going to need, what the DM does in the game. And um, so now we're going to kind of flow into preparing your game and what that kind of takes to get it going. So, Clay, let's talk about preparing your game. Absolutely. It's the best part and the most important part as a DM. Absolutely. You, it's really exciting to come forward with a whole open option of what am I going to play? What am I going to present to my players? Mm-hmm. So the first thing you're going to need to cover is these core assumptions. Um, you'll find these in the Dungeon Master's Guide too. So these five core assumptions are basically underlying every D&D setting. So these will kind of take out some of the guesswork in terms of picking a setting these will be answered already so there are gods that oversee the world there is a world that is considered untamed or wild Uh, the world is ancient conflict shapes history and the world is considered magical to a certain extent Mm -hmm. these five ideas are the governing logic behind most decisions in a DD setting right and we say assumptions, but that only means, like Jake said, they're not permanent. Yeah, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have these five rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is the basic outline for them. So if, in terms of deviating from this, there is already an example in Dark Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that world is not magical because the magic has been drained from the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it a unique setting. The rest of it still kind of falls in line. It's an ancient world. It's right. untamed and all that. But it's not magical. So you can use these core assumptions to also define what makes your game unique. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like is it, like Jake said, the dark sun setting, which takes place in a desolate desert area? Or is it take place in the v- dark vastness of outer space? You know, these are all, all sorts of questions that you can definitely you'll be asking yourself and what kind of game you want to run. And typically um, you see the high fantasy setting in Dungeons and Dragons. That's pretty common. Mm-hmm. But like we said, those assumptions are there for you to mess around with, but also to kind of have a general understanding of how the world works. Now let's talk about tiers of play. The tiers of play in D&D are based off of this idea where you transition from being basically a commoner to a near demigod mm-hmm. and that's that's the whole range of level one to 20 mm-hmm. which is where D takes takes you through those levels one through 20 that's that's pretty much the base you can go a little higher than 20 if you want it gets a little crazy and out of hand yeah it's but. not fifth edition is not designed to go above level 20 so no, you will fourth. be stepping into homebrew territory mm-hmm but yeah, tiers of play, there's, like Jake said, the first one is kind of, you're starting out as a hero. No one really knows your name. You're coming to this town to leave a mark on it. Or there's some some sort of 
binding event that's going to happen that 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 puts you in this town where you are essentially by the end of this tier you're going to be the hero of that town that's kind of the location yeah it's kind of a very small area i'd say that's levels like what is it probably one through five yeah five we'll say five one through five as a good i would say folk hero you take mm-hmm. on a local role, maybe a sheriff who happened to save the town, or maybe you saved a child from the mine, that kind of stuff. That's going to be more of your low-level stuff. You're not going to face too many truly dangerous challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing that's going to be threatening a kingdom, for example. No, but it's definitely something that's threatening you or a town or a local business, something in that kind of range. You, you might tease uh, hints at what is to come or even like reveal that the big bad is designed for like level 20 encounter, but they don't have to face him right away, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, pull a little Final Fantasy right there. Yeah. Or, or maybe your whole campaign takes the entirety of just that tier. Yeah. And so that, that'll be something we cover is in terms of scope. Um, mm-hmm. But so level one through five is our folk hero level six through 11 is the next tier which would be more of a regional hero Mm -hmm. you might start saving a larger town or helping several small villages that kind of thing Mm -hmm. maybe Um, getting a little bit more involved in the the political power in a town yeah uh, the governing and how more than just one person's life is impacted Mm-hmm. Uh, and that also brings with it more dangerous challenges. Um, traps will be more threatening. This is this tier where you start to actually see resurrection magic if you choose to allow that in your world. Mm-hmm. Uh, to spells like Revivify, which can bring people back from the dead. Mm-hmm. This is also the tier where you start to see some of the iconic spells of D&D, like Lightning Bolt or Fireball. So this is, this is kind of, I'd probably say like a favorite tier of mine. Right. 6 to 11 is that sweet spot where you really start to get a lot of your core features, uh, a lot of the cool powers that can really change the world, but not not earth-shattering yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's I would say this is pretty manageable in terms of how hard it can be to run. Yeah. Uh, and it's still a little more complex than low tiers, obviously. Yeah, and as a DM, you definitely start opening the book a little bit more and what you can do in, in this tier. And that's where each tier gets a little bit more complex. Right. You might be starting to explore creatures from another plane at this mid-tier here, um, the regional hero. And then the next tier, which would be basically 11 to 16, maybe Mm -hmm. up to 17. This is where you're starting to get to be heroes of the kingdom kind of idea. Right. People know your name. And your name... It travels from town to town, and people have heard about your exploits. And you have typically a good amount of wealth accumulated, or mm-hmm. you have contacts and like people to rely on. Yeah, you've typically been traveling for a while at this point. Yeah, adventuring is a second nature. That's a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and then our last tier, seventeen to twenty. This is the epic tier. Most games do not get up to this point. And when they do get up to this point is when real shenanigans happen. Because this is where you start getting spells like Wish, where you can literally wish and change the world. Mm-hmm. And so that can dramatically change how a game will be played out. Or bring a person back to life without needing any material substance of their being. 
Yeah, or even just wishing somebody away. Mm-hmm. That boss doesn't exist anymore. So this is this last here is definitely where the book is wide open for the DM. This is where they're, you know, choosing the biggest, baddest enemies, the strongest plot lines that are intertwining these this world and these characters together usually um it's 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 a lot of fun but it's definitely a lot of work Mm -hmm. it takes a lot more planning because you have to be prepared for so many different abilities that can change what will happen yeah it's not like level one where your players can't charm the guard with a spell and you know steal everything in the store you know we're at level 17 they can charm an entire town or a store or a bar and or just, they could just earthquake the town or, and yeah. it's gone yep exactly there's there's a definite change of power and you you will feel it um change as the dm and you'll have to kind of you know adjust to that yeah you you have the ability to grow with the game which mm-hmm. is what i really like about dnd right and that the tiers of play helps reinforce that you start from this basic understanding of adventuring and you build on it, and you build on the skills that you get, and you build on the story that you're traveling through, and you get items, and it all just builds up to a high tier of play. Right. And that high tier play kind of goes into the uh, next point that we have, which is we had mentioned the assumptions, gods oversee the world. Yeah, this is something that's pretty important to keep in mind for when you're preparing your game. Because, especially in most of the D&D settings, gods run the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it is There are multiple deities out there, and people are typically polytheistic, so they, they don't just believe in one god and only their god. It's like, maybe you worship Gond and Melora, or like that'd be kind of a weird mix. Right. <laughs> and all those gods are laid out in the Dungeon Master's Guide, at least the majority of them. Yeah. There are other settings, obviously. As well, yeah. Yep. And you can find most settings will have something related to the gods described out for you. Mm-hmm. So, like the Forgotten Realms uh, and the Players, the Sword Coast Guide, there's a list of the deities and mm-hmm. kind of their role and who might worship them and how they interact with the people. Um, then, I mean, it's it's a nice way to just use somebody else's pantheon. You can go through mm-hmm. and make your own if you mm-hmm. want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just gets a little more complex. I would yeah. say if you're going to try and make your own, maybe some sources of inspiration might be like Greek, Norse, or Hindu. Yep. And those pantheons exist. I'm not sure. I can't remember if they're in the player's guide or they in have the DM's guide, but they do list DM's some of guide. them in there. So Yeah, I think, it, yeah, the DM's guide. So if you want to play like a Romanesque style game, those those yeah. Greek mythology and those those kind of gods are in there. Yeah. Those Norse gods, it's it's really cool. And obviously, you have the if you have the creative ability, you can make your own, like Jake was hinting on. So right, um, but gods are definitely important. Yeah, especially so, if you have divine characters. Yeah, which or you know, a religion is a, a huge driving point in your campaign. And you mentioned divine characters, which touches on another good point that they get their power from a god mm-hmm. in terms of magic. So right. like, how does magic play into the world? That's another mm-hmm. important point to consider. Is there restrictions or special styles that have to be mastered? That, that kind of philosophy? Mm-hmm. 
there's a ton of magic in the game, and we've definitely touched on a little bit of it. We've touched on some low-level stuff, some high-level stuff. But as a DM, it's going to be you know your job to go through and decide what types of magic you want to include in this game. Are there some you want to restrict? Are there some that you maybe want to modify because you don't like the way the spell works? All that kind of stuff. These are all questions you're going to have to ask yourself going into the game. And Jake had hinted on it earlier with some pre-written quests. A lot of that stuff's already laid out for you, and that's yeah, kind of coming together with all these points that we've been hitting on and preparing. That's the good thing about the pre-written quests, and they already have all this stuff kind of figured out. You just got to read it and familiarize yourself with the, the source material within. Absolutely. But, of course, the uh, chance to create your own game, your own style, and your own world all lie within uh, the book, too, and you can easily do as a DM. I mean, I wouldn't say it's easy by any means, but... You, can, you can. You have the tools you need to do it. Right, right. So that covers, I would say, the basics, like the rules that govern your world. So we have magic, gods, it's a wilderness, like maybe you have a few places in mind. So how does that tie into your campaign? Um, it, this is where you start to be maybe thinking about a map in terms of where are we going or mm-hmm. what does the region that you're playing in look like. So this is also where you're going to want to start to consider about the scale of your game, right? how many levels you're going to cover, and how much distance you're going to travel, and how many locations you want to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you're playing in a game where you just have one major city, and you just go from the major city, and you go back and forth to adventuring locations. Mm-hmm. Your map's going to be pretty small. Your scale of game is probably going to be pretty small, too. Mm-hmm. Or you might be doing one where you're traveling the entire Forgotten Realms. Uh, we kind of talked about that with one of our previous quests, the one that Clay wrote. We traveled through pretty much the entire Forgotten Realms. I mean, the only areas we didn't really touch was the southern reaches. So we mm-hmm. traveled through multiple countries, and we had big battles mm-hmm. in entirely different areas of the world. So that would, I would say, a big scale of game and a large map. So. Mm-hmm. And, yep, once again, all that stuff's in that DM's guide. It gives you charts. It gives you uh, tables. Yeah, Yeah, tables. tables If you need a random location or a counter. And the DM screen also, worth mentioning now, that has a lot of good stuff on it, too, behind the screen if you you like to use that. Yeah, some some DM screens are better than others. Uh, I would just say... In terms of a DM screen, you're just going to see like what rules are on there and mm-hmm. what things you use the most. Um, it might be a little hard figuring that out on your first try, but they're not that expensive. And you can yeah. always get another one. And you can always put in, if you really want to, you can always make the little place cards and just tape them on the inside of your screen. Mm-hmm. So um, switching back into preparing for your game here, uh, we touched on real briefly like if you're wanting to play from one central city, so we need to talk about settlements. And the role that settlements play in your world. Mm-hmm. This is something that's probably going to be one of the biggest factors in terms of what your players feel, mm-hmm. because they're going to be living in these settlements. Yeah, you so. want to you want to make sure you can bring them to life. You want to make sure that you can put them in that setting and make them feel like they're there as they're, best as you can. You're going to need places to explore. 
You're going to need important people. You're going to need a lot of names. Mm -hmm. You're going to want to be describing. You want to be describing things that they see, things that they smell, things that they hear, things that they taste. Yeah. These are all. Cover the senses. These are all your kind of. This is your duty as the DM to let the players know what they're experiencing, like we said earlier. So that that all ties into that definitely for sure, and that comes in big into the settlements. Yeah, and you're also going to want to consider in the settlements, like what is their culture like? Mm-hmm. What is the society? Uh, maybe they're monochra- uh, monarchy, monochromatic. Yeah. <laughs> they could yeah. be monochromatic too. Yeah. Um, but or they might be a democracy. Maybe it's Athens. Maybe it's Rome. You just need to. Maybe it's a group of barbarians that. Yeah. It, have no sort of rule or anything. They just the strongest one rules. It, you know. Are cities built in treetops? Are cities built in mountains? Are mm-hmm. cities built at the bottom of the sea? So, you're gonna want to have a a picture in your mind of what you want to achieve, mm-hmm. in terms of what the settlement the settlement is, and then you're gonna try and project that out for your players. Mm-hmm. And you know that's gonna break out into a whole bunch of different other questions. You know, like. Are there any factions or organizations that are living in this settlement? Maybe there's, you know, some sort of evil entity in this town that wants to take it over that is that is living underground that you don't know about initially, but you discover and learn as you play through the game that they, in fact, want to rule this town and throw over the current um, rule that's, that's in place. Upset the balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... So factions, organizations, uh, the languages they speak, the religions they have, right? Who has the money? Who has the influence? Their like, mannerisms, their yeah. personality, yeah. all that is going to come to life through you. Yes, and also the players interacting with you. It it, yes. it, it always helps. Um, I would say we're talking about all these points, and I want to caution. You don't need to necessarily have all the answers before you start your game. Oh, no. You you will never have all the answers. I mean... Right. So you might actually find it beneficial to... Like, if you're in the middle of playing a session and the players decide to go to the docks and you hadn't figured out anything at the docks, you can come up with something on the spot or you can even, like, ask the player, what are you looking for? Oh, I'm looking for a fisherman. Great. Now there's a fisherman there at the docks and yep. you're going to come up with his name. Plenty of times where I ask the players at the table, like, what's his name? I don't know. What's a good name? And mm-hmm. that's how we get characters named like Lim Biscuit. <laughs> yep, yep. And let your players, you know, be inclus- included and and, and enjoy and in that fun because they're, they're there building the story with you. So they're a powerful tool uh, for the DM to utilize for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's not DM versus player. It's DM with player. Mm-hmm. You're just, you know more of the information. Mm-hmm. So and we, we don't do, be afraid to get help. We do got to say that there are some groups out there that will have a different mindset. Maybe they're a tyrannical DM yeah. and they just want to <laughs> kill everyone in the party. And, 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 and it happens. Well, and some people like the more, I could say, dangerous appeal of it. So mm-hmm. we, I would say we have a very uh, friendly outlook on D&D and mm-hmm. more embrace of of the actual team play aspect of it we're there to relax we're there to story tell with each other we're there to have fun with our best friends and just come together and have you know five hours of fun like once once a month twice a month you know 
depending on how lucky we are. So that's that's going to be your job as the DM, you know, is this player fitting in? Are they toxic? You know, you're going to have to make those decisions. You're going to have to talk to your players and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, and then that's also going to affect how they interact with the world that you have set up. So if you have a toxic player who just keeps trying to kill everybody in the world that you took time to build. Murder hobo. <laughs> murder hobos. They might not be the right player for you. But mm-hmm. if you know, maybe you get a player who is they have a hundred ideas for people they know. Just start taking those characters that they made in their background and just throw them in a town. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to do all the work on your own. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, it's typically easier to rein a player in when they're at a lower level. And if they're not having a good time with the game, the I would say nine times out of ten they'll approach you and let you know. It's not a bad thing. It's just sometimes people don't mesh. And right. that's just that's just yeah. the re- that's just the reality of the world we live in. Yeah, and I think that's that'll come up in session zero a little bit, which is we'll touch on that soon. But mm-hmm. switching back gears to preparing for your game, so we've we've talked about your core assumptions, uh, like campaign plans and mapping, uh, scale a game, making your cities, uh, factions and organizations. So let's talk about your starting point. So where where you're starting for your game, the first thing you're going to want to do is decide, is this a home base or is this temporary? Mm -hmm. Because that's going to impact how you play the rest of the game. Right. Then once you get that starting point kind of figured out, you know, set the stage up. You know, play it up like this city's really important and you're going to be spending a lot of time here. If it's not that big, you know, set that stage, set that bar like, oh, it's just a small little shanty town no one's around you're passing by rats scurrying across the town yeah right. kind it's, of thing the more i would say the more you describe a place the more the players are going to interact with it so mm-hmm. if you intend for them to be there for a short amount of time don't make it interesting yeah right and, and unfortunately sometimes those non-interesting points do draw in players people people yeah. do get distracted by yeah. them but so that's I, just yeah. the nature of the game in that case, you can come up with something on the spot. You can go to a table and roll to see if there's something there. Or mm-hmm. you can just simply tell the player, there's nothing interesting here. It's just some right. farmers. And that kind of ties into the next the next thing here. Your characters, their background, and their involvement. Depending on who they've made your players as characters, they, you know, they're going to react to situations differently depending on how they're role-playing that character. You know, are, maybe they're... Maybe they're bakers and they walk by a bakery and they decide to just have a little mini quest where they pop into the bakery and you have a little bake session with the the guy there. Yeah, and to to the rest of the players, (laughs) to the rest of the players at the table, they they might not find it too interesting. But one of the aspects of D and D is that that team play. So letting Mm -hmm. somebody else have the spotlight for a moment to build their character, Mm -hmm. I would say it enriches the experience as a whole. Right. And then on that note, you're probably going to want to, you know, probably like decide what backgrounds are allowed, uh, how involved are the characters in your world and Mm -hmm. what classes and races are even allowed. So this is a good time to figure out, what is allowed from a player standpoint. Yep, and how they're going to fit into your world in, in a kind of a smaller little way there. So after you kind of get that whole starting point and 
uh, the stage set for your characters, you're going to need to essentially know where your campaign is going next. You know, is it going to keep taking place in this town or is it going to move on to a next one? And that's going to tie into how you're tracking time. Like what season is it right now? How much time has passed between the travel of these two towns? You know, was there maybe an event that happened that shook up the world? Maybe there's now a giant chasm in the middle of this town that you used to stay in and three years have passed and you guys have slowly rebuilt this town over time. Right. The story might become, how do we live around this chasm in the town? Mm-hmm. Um, campaign events, there are, there are many ways to plan out your story. Um, I just say, find what works for you and use it. My case, I tend to use, uh, you'll, you might see it in some of the actual quest books, but it's a basic bubble diagram where you have your starting point and then next bubble over is the next event. Next bubble over is event three. Sometimes you might have a little branch off where a couple options can happen, but that's, that's the basic method that I use to organize my sessions. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I'll fill in the events that happen in between. And I might have to change the bubbles later on down the list right. because something changed at the start. Right. That's why I don't want to do too much detail later on in the game. Mm-hmm. Focusing more on what's the next few sessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and chances are, if unless you're like a good group of friends, like our group tends to be, you're not going to necessarily know your players right out of the gate. You might know them, in which case you might know the play style like, we had mentioned earlier murder hobos. Maybe your group is that way. So, yeah. hey, have a campaign where you guys just kill stuff all the time. You could be villains. If, if that's what you want to do, do it. If you want if you want a group that is role-play heavy, where every session is them getting really into character and portraying that life, hell, more power to you. That's, that's your game. You're going to want to find those play styles. And as you keep playing with your players, you'll learn their play styles. You'll be able to put the pieces together to build the group that you want to have the campaign you want and the players that want to be part of that campaign and interact with it. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, is there, is there much more we should really touch on here or do you think we've got a pretty good idea of it? I'd say you mentioned uh, world shaking events. Mm -hmm. I would just say, you know, be careful and how often you use them. You yeah. don't want a world-shaking event to happen every couple levels. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why are we even living here in that yeah. case? But um, they can be a good way to really drive the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll also say, this touches in with play style more so, um, a flavor of fantasy. I mean, are we talking sci-fi? Are we talking... Mm-hmm. Tolkien, Dusk Noir, yeah, or like you want to do a Sherlock Holmes game, like you can. Mm -hmm. D and D has that available for you. It's just something you're definitely want to get figure out before you go into your session zero, your play style and the flavor of the play. Yep, and that kind of pretty much wraps us nicely into our next points, uh, session zero. So a session zero in Dungeons and Dragons is essentially after everything you've done as the dungeon master, you have gotten your game planned, you have gotten your players together, you have figured out what game you are running and how you are going to run it. You have all your tools, you have a place to play, Mm -hmm. 
and you're ready to essentially bring your group together and talk about all these rules with your players. That's essentially what a session zero is all about. You're going to introduce them to what the campaign is going to be. You're going to maybe make characters at the session zero or go over what kind of characters they want to be and how they're going to fit into your story. It's a very important thing to run a session zero. We typically have gotten away from them just because our group's a little more experienced and we play with the same people for the most part. Our session zeros bleed into session one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, This is also where, personally, I like to do um, events that bring the players together. Right. So, like, for my Storm Kings game, I had a little intro part for each character separately. So that basically they all had a reason to be approaching Baldur's Gate. They might have been doing it all for separate reasons, but they all showed up at the same time, which led into the next event. And that just kind of, they all got roped in together and they've been together ever since. Mm-hmm. So the session zero is really important in that and where you're going to need to discuss what you're, sta- what you're going to be expecting as a DM from your players and what your players should be expecting from you. It's a two, it's a... It's a two-way open, you know, conversation. Yeah. Uh, between you and your players, where you're just figuring figuring each other out and and where this game is going to be going. Yeah. So you will want to cover, maybe not as thoroughly as we discussed here on the podcast, um, those points from before where we're talking about gods and oh yeah settlements and that stuff. You're going to want to keep some secrecy to your world. Yeah. You're going to want to be able to surprise the players. I would say. You're going to want a few highlights from each one of those points, and that is what you present to the players. You don't want to present too much and have an information overload, and all of a sudden, especially if you have new players, like, oh my goodness, how am I going to deal with 50 pages of information? I I would not hand out 50 pages on your first session and tell your players to read it and expect them to know Mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Like at best, you could have your fifty pages of stuff, set it on the side, and just tell them if you want to read it, you can. I have this information here. I will tell you the critical things that you need to know, mm-hmm. and that your character knows. Mm-hmm. And this session zero also gives your players a good moment to think about their next move and and how this campaign is going to affect them. So it's important for them to kind of introduce them into that world and get their wheels turning in their heads. Yeah. Uh, this is maybe more of what you could call min-maxer approach, um, but that might influence what class you pick, what race you pick. Like if you know that you're going to be hunting demons and undead, a paladin might be pretty good. Mm-hmm. But if you know you're going to be facing a bunch of anti-magic creatures, then maybe that wizard isn't a good idea. Right. So some things like that... Um, I would say optimizing the play. It's good to know what you're getting into for that type of player. Mm -hmm. I would say that pretty much sums up session uh, session zero pretty good. Session one zero. Session session zero sauce. Um, And once again, we just want to hit on that point where as the DM – you know, you're you're leading these players. They're they're looking for you to be the responsible one and get this game together, put together, and then run them through it. So, make sure you're listening to them. Make sure you're uh, attending to their needs, 
and make sure they're also listening to you and respecting your authority in the position that you're in. It's yeah. it's a it's a two way street. It's it's a give and a take. You don't want to rule with an iron fist, but you can't let them walk all over you. No, you you gotta you gotta know when to say no. You gotta know when to say, oh yeah, let's give that a try. And and your players will feel you know rewarded or you some might feel a little spiteful but you'll find the balance as you as you keep playing and like we said there's no such thing as a perfect dm so don't don't ever stress out over that you're you're going to be doing the best that you can yeah and that's 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 all that's all the dm mantle is essentially is leading these group of players through a collaborative story or whatever you decide to come up with. I mean, is there really anything else that you can compare it to or have to say about it? I don't think so. No? No. Yeah. So I guess with that, um, we will sign off from the podcast. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening once again. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. We just changed our name to Tavern Legends Podcast, but we are still at Tavern Legends. And once again, on Facebook, you can find our page, which is Tavern Legends. And we afford, we'll be definitely looking out for anyone who wants to ask us any questions or if they have any concerns about D&D, we're there to answer them for you. Yes, sir. We are here for your D&D needs. We are also going to be looking at starting some Dungeon Masters Guild content soon. Mm -hmm. uh, we will have more information on that as it becomes available. Yep, and we definitely want to let you guys know our last two podcasts, episode three and episode four, this one was episode four that we're recording. They are a player's guide and a DM's guide, essentially, for the beginners into the game. So I think next episode, next week's episode, you guys can kind of look forward to us running a little bit of a, like a one-shot adventure, kind of walking through what an adventure would be like, just a small little snippet. And so that way you guys can kind of get an idea of what it's like to play play D and think we'll have a special guest on here, uh, one of our players, Brett Debon, and also potentially Matt Heron, maybe someone else. We'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. No, no promises, but should be a good time. We'll just do a little mini adventure and run you through it. So make sure you definitely come come back for that. Okay. So with that, we wish you fair weather and legendary adventures. Thanks for joining us, travelers. Mm -hmm.